I'd like to introduce our Vice President of Styling and Design, Brad Richards. It's such an exciting, thrilling motorcycle to ride. But of all the designs that we've worked on, this is one where there was the least amount of change, and this is an Apex Predator. We want to do it better than the competition, and we want to do it in our own way that's unique. It has to be the Harley way. We wanted to stitch in some iconic elements of the design from different generations of Sportster. Whenever you do something that's kind of radically different and unexpected, you're going to shake people up. This is exactly what we want, and it's kind of the right mindset right now with the company. It took a story. There's just a huge opportunity here. All right, guys, let me welcome you all to another Late Loss Harley-Davidson podcast. I'm Matt Late I'm here with my co-host, Nick Colbert, and we're here today with a pretty awesome guest. Super excited to have Brad Richards here, the VP of Design at Harley-Davidson Motor Company. Thank you very much for coming out, Brad. Yeah, you bet. Glad to be here. We were able to pull Brad in. I know he was out here for their business, and I've been bugging him about coming out here for a while, doing a podcast and sitting down with us and talking all things Harley-Davidson. So thanks for getting time out of your busy schedule and coming down here. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the motor company, the relationship we have with the dealers is obviously really important, and we certainly watch what you guys are doing out here at Laidlaw's Harley-Davidson. We love the, the podcast and a lot of the social media work that you do, and we're paying attention and like we do to all dealerships in all regions. So, But it's great. It's just great to be here. Right on, man. Right on. Thank, well, thank you for that. Uh, we obviously spent a lot of time doing this, and uh, obviously a lot, of, a lot of us here at this dealership, we are in love with the brand. We love the brand, and so it's, it's more than just a job to us. It's kind of our passion. So let's talk a little bit, Brad. So your official title is the VP of Design at the Harley-Davidson Motor Company. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people out there, especially that ride Harley-Davidson's, would probably describe that as like their dream job. <laughs> uh, I know there's probably a lot of work. Keith, Keith Richards has my, my dream job. <laughs> <laughs> why, don't, why don't you explain a little bit about uh, what you do on a daily basis and sure. um, you know what like your responsibilities are at, at the motor company? Basically, my responsibilities include the, the design of the motorcycles. And so I, I am uh, fortunate enough to manage an, an extremely talented small team. There's about 24 of us. And we work on the aesthetics of the motorcycle and, the, and the, basically the design and paying attention to our portfolio and trying to, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, look out on the horizon and create what's coming next with, uh, with the motor company and its products. Very nice. Yeah. On a daily basis, are you in the product development center? Are you one of these guys with the, the block of clay, you know, <laughs> making shape and things and like what take us through like a, a typical day for you? Well, we have some people that are much more talented than I am shaping the clay. But um, yeah, we have folks like that on staff. Um, so the staff, like I said, is about 24 folks. Uh, about half of those, maybe a little more than half of those are creative designers, people that went to industrial design school, uh, product design school, and have learned industrial design and, you know, kind of transportation and mobility design. Drawing, the actually sketching what the motorcycles look like, and then m moving into um, you know, the transition from a sketch and an idea that someone might have um, to a physical motorcycle takes a lot of people. And so we have a technical operations um, half of our team as well, probably the other half, the other, you know, 12 people or so. They're there just, um, they're experts in their own right. They, they understand um, how to create digital surface. They use 3D modeling tools, um, clay. Um, we weld. We, we can pretty much make a motorcycle from ground up in our, our little studio there in, in um, Wauwatosa. So really, it's, it's from in, you know, the inception, kind of the idea of the sketch, or looking at the sketch and, and determining, like, all right, you know, let's, let's explore this idea. 
um, all the way to here's a here's sort of a finished motorcycle that we can you know roll out into the uh, you know into the parking lot and, and show the executives. So it's um, and then before and even before we sketch, we we like to do a lot of research. We like to we like to say that we sleep in the ditches with our our customers. Um, majority of my design team, if not all of them, are riders. Um, super passionate about the brand before they got there, kind of like I, you know, I was embedded into the culture, going to the shows, going to the events, riding, kind of going through all the same things that our customers do so that we have a pretty good idea of like, you know, what would be great in sort of the next feature of a Harley Davidson or what would make the next great Harley Davidson. Yeah. So um, a lot of research, a lot of traveling around. That's what we're doing here out this week. Actually, we're touring a variety of shops like your own and kind of seeing what you guys are up to we always pay attention to places that we, you know, we think kind of provoke trends and certainly Southern California is one of those places. So we, we come out here a couple times a year, three times a year, four times a year and uh, do a tour, kind of sniff around, see if our antenna pick up anything. And, and that's how we make the next Harley Davidson. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have to admit I was, before I even met you in person, you know, I was a big time fanboy. You know, I I think I found you first on, on Instagram uh, by the way, Zen of Nito, guys, uh, I'll link that up here uh, <laughs> on the screen so you guys can follow Brad. It's funny because as soon as I started following Brad, like I didn't know who he was. And then it, and like I saw kind of his description on his Instagram, like, you know, VP of style design and stuff. I was like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, he's important. So let's let's see what this guy has to show up, you know. And um, we're going to get into the, the vintage stuff in a minute. Sure. But one of the things that I noticed right away about you was your love for vintage stuff, like the vintage yeah. Harley Davidsons yeah. and, you know, just posting awesome pictures of it. And then I later find out those are actually your bikes that you're posting pictures of. This that's just random bikes, but, um, yeah, yeah very cool. Um, let's talk before we jump into all that stuff. Let's talk real quick. Um, as far as like your, your background, like I, what, what mm-hmm. does it take? What has it taken in your life when you were young all the way till now to mm-hmm. get to where you are right now? Like education, experience, things like that. Sure. I mean, there's luck is a huge component, you know, like I think most people would probably who are aware of their own kind of career paths would realize that luck has a massive, you know, know, thing to do with it. And it certainly do with with me as well. Also, just the exposure to the right people. And and so I'll start like, you know, I was I was one of those kids that just like I'm sure many of us and many of your the folks that are watching this that are just, you know, I was completely uh, mesmerized by anything with wheels. And um, so that was like a huge component as I was growing up. I had a my father was a history teacher and my mother was an artist. And so, so, you know, my dad kind of gave me a foundational, like, you know, respect for story and sort of history, you know, history, certainly of America and and other places. But, you know, my dad was a great storyteller and I kind of, that, that was a big piece of growing up with my father. And then my mother was an artist, so she was really creative. Luckily I had parents that really, you know, that, um, that sort of threw gasoline on the fire in terms of like, th- these were the only skills I have was, you know, was basically sketching and drawing. I was constantly drawing cars and motorcycles and building models and, and, um, you know, kit bashing and just trying to change the look and the proportions of the things and painting. And it's all I cared about. I couldn't, I still can't add, I can't balance a checkbook. Um, you know, if this gig at Harley doesn't work out, it'll be digging ditches. <laughs> it's probably the only thing I'm qualified to do. Um, other than this, but, um, so, Luckily, in, De- in Detroit, because of the automotive companies, that's where I grew up in Detroit, there's a really, really good school there called the College for Creative Studies. I think at the time that I went, it was called the Center for Creative Studies. But it was basically where a majority of the car companies found their industrial designers, their stylists, the, 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 guys, that, the guys and girls that um, uh, you know, dream up what the cars look like and work with the engineers to create them. And it's, it is a dream job. It's, it's, a, 
it's very specific. You have to be sort of part engineer, part artist, um, part conceptual thinker. Uh, having a maverick streak is really important because you're constantly challenging the status quo and kind of asking why with, with everything. Every you know that that was sort of like you you have to be willing to kind of challenge what what the standards are and, and try to improve things and think differently and all those things came together. I happened to go to an arts uh, high school rather that had a if you were if you showed like a creative background you were kind of pulled out of the standard curriculum and put into a, uh, a, a special curriculum just for folks that are creative, which was, r- just was really beneficial for me. It was like, again, it was very lucky that the school decided to do this. And so I was able the last two years of, of high school to just focus on design and, and art and painting and so on. And then I got a scholarship for painting to uh, this local art school that I was talking about, the College for Creative Stu- Studies, a summer scholarship. And and at that time, I didn't really know too much about design. You know, I, I didn't. I always thought engineers kind of made cars and motorcycles. And um, and at lunchtime, like I think it was the first week I was there in the summer, I went down. I was kind of like, you know, at lunchtime they give you a break, whatever. I went. Down, I was exploring the school, and I went into this clay studio that was in the basement, and I saw all these great clay models of, of cars and motorcycles and trains. And I'm like, well, what is this? You know, and and my my painting instructor said, oh, that's industrial design. You know, that's, that's, those, those are folks that are going to like be shaping like what, you know, what transportation looks like in the future. And I was like, well, I love the paint. Like I love painting, but that, that is what I, that's what I'm doing. And so from that moment on, I just, I went back to school uh, and I built a portfolio and, and the, the goal was just to get into, get accepted into the school because you had to pass a pretty stringent entry. Ex- you know, there wasn't an exam, but they look at your portfolio. They look at your kind of creative background and decide how many people, you know, if they're going to let folks in. At that time, this it was... to get into the college? Yeah, to get into okay. college, thank you, yeah. yeah. So it was like, at that time, they would, you know, for a, an industrial design class, they would like, I think it was maybe between maybe 20 and 30 people, they would accept a year. Oh, wow. And then at the at the back end of that, there's maybe seven that would actually graduate. I mean, every wow. semester, you put your work up, and the instructors come through and say, you stay, you're going to go, sorry, you know, it, it was really intense, because it's just, there's just not that many people that were doing it at the time, and I think now design is much more known, like, everyone is a designer because of your iPhone and Photoshop, and, but at that time, no one, you know, it was, it was a pretty small little group of folks, and so that's how I, yeah, that's, that's what happened, and so I studied product design at first, I didn't know what I wanted to do, furniture design for a while, product design, transportation design, I got intimidated, to be honest, by a lot of the, the, the transportation students because they were they were a lot better than I was and they you know for whatever reason a lot of them were like sort of sons and daughters of like people that were already in the business so they had a massive jump start mm-hmm. so I think I kind of flipped out a little bit and went oh, I don't know if I really want to do this but I what happened is I graduated in product design and then um, the company I started working for uh, which was a uh, they were they were doing furniture design for Herman Miller and Knoll which, you know, those are great furniture companies that I st- still collect and buy that stuff. But I wanted to do cars. They happened to buy a company that was starting to work for Ford and, and General Motors and Chrysler doing sort of like doing Skunk Works design work. And they were going to start an industrial design studio. And I was the luckily the first designer that they hired. So I got to hire some, my friends, put a clay modeling team together, you know, and I'm like 21. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, you know. So finally, That's like, awesome. finally the business grew to a point where it was like, you know, I went to the CEO and said, like, you know, I'm way out of my league here. Like I don't, I'm out of my depths. I don't, I don't know how to, you know, formulate a strategy or, or commercial business plan. Like I can do the design work, but so we hired someone who had who had that experience, and we continued to grow the business. And then, long Very story cool. short, eventually Ford kind of somehow got they saw my work and they they, they asked me to come on board and, and become part of their uh, design team, which was 
something I'd always wanted to do. I, you know, grew up right, I grew up right next to the design center at Ford and the test track. So it was sort of like in the blood that, you know, Ford would be the place to go. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I got, in, I got into Ford and, uh, spent the majority of my time uh, working on truck, the truck business. And so, um, did, I don't know, three or four F series, you know, maybe four or five F series, uh, and we were, we were doing Bronco before the, like the latest Bronco that we, we actually, that was my second project that I did when I was there was the full size Bronco. And it was, you know, we, they, they put it on the shelf until just a couple of years ago and they brought it back, which is really cool to see that out there now. Interesting. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And then I think the last thing I did was the, the Raptor, the current Raptor was uh, something that it was the last project I did before I left Ford, I think eight years ago and, and, and went to Harley and that's like a whole nother story. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's so cool. Um, yeah, while you were saying, while you were talking and in, in, in about the school and, and yeah. going down and seeing the clay and stuff, like I totally got goosebumps just because like that's so cool that mm-hmm. someone I, I I love. I mean, obviously, um, I'm a big Harley guy, and I think that engineers, the artists, the designers, guys like yourself, you're like my rock stars. And so mm-hmm. to hear about like where you got where you came from and like the progression in your life to go from like your dad and, and your mom being a, an artist and a teacher. It was a history, history teacher. Yeah, he was yeah. Really, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just like those two things together just seem like the perfect like formula to like yeah. grow up with to like then, you know, create Harley Davidson's because a, a lot of what I love about, you know, Harley Davidson and I've certainly seen it in your work with Harley Davidson is so much history goes into the new designs of Harley, you know, you're always pulling from the past, pulling from right. uh, past models and, and Harley Davidson's history. And I think that's what people love about the style is it's very classic and timeless. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I always tell people that what, what's great, you know, what's great about Harley Davidson is it's a great story. You know, these four founders, like what they wanted to do, they were just trying to kind of, you know, they're trying to get down to the lake to, you know, quicker to do, to fish, you know, so they, <laughs> let's put a motor on a bicycle and, uh, you know, and they completely revolutionized motorcycling and created, you know, American motorcycling at that time. And um, uh, it, it's so, I, you know, I think my father, again, gave me the love of the story. Growing up in the Midwest, you know, growing up around the car companies, uh, you know, and especially um, uh, in Detroit. So there were um, so many people were into Harley. I mean, like a lot of the people that worked there. So there were bikes everywhere. So we, you know, we were constantly exposed to that stuff. And um, I grew up on like dirt bikes and three wheelers and I had paper routes. And so I, I, I had to motorize my, my paper routes pretty quick because I, I had like three or four. And so in order to get the papers done before I went to school every morning, you know, I, I, I went from a, from pedal power to, you know, to a motor. And so smart man. Yeah. So we, so, um, um, and I just always th- thought that was sort of the freest, like the best cars are great. Like I love cars. I do. I, I'm not, I, I you know, Car, I, I, have a, I have a soft spot for cars, but like Harley has my soul. I mean, I mean, motorcycles and specifically Harley Davidson has my soul, and that's like a whole other story. Like I said, but growing up in the Midwest and seeing the bikes, then realizing that Harley Davidson was made right over right across the lake in Milwaukee, I just thought, well, this is great. Like all this stuff is coming right from here. It's like, you know, at the turn of the century, what's known now as the Rust Belt was like Silicon Valley, and like all this stuff right. was, you know, all this, all these innovations were happening and. And, and then there you have the four founders creating this great brand. And, um, and that, and of course the story of the, of the, of the, of Harley Davidson really resonated with me because of the historical, you know, it was also formed the same year as, as Ford Motor Company, which I always thought was cool. I didn't know that. 1903. Yeah. So, and that, and, and so that's how the Harley thing happened for me is I was responsible for the design, um, of the trucks. And then they, they knew that myself and one other, um, supervisor or manager that I work for named Gordon Plato, who's a really 
great guy, another Harley collector, that we were bikers. So they said, hey, we're going to do these Harley F-150s. You guys, you guys take them. We have no, you know, we don't know what this stuff, <laughs> the brand's about. So, um, so we handled the design of those for 10, you know, years or whatever. And that's oh. how we met Willie because they, okay. Willie would come into Dearborn to the Ford studio with Louis Nets and the, and the crew. And every, you know, twice a year we would ideate, we'd, you know, they, they'd invite us to Sturgis. And so we got to go to Sturgis with Willie and Louie and we'd uh, walk around and, and, um, and they would, we would ideate on like, what's the next truck going to look like? You know, what, what do you think? What are you guys thinking? And we would sit down and have a beer and kind of like sketch stuff. And, Very and, cool. and then six months later they'd come back into Dearborn and we'd have like a model of it done and, and they would, you know, make adjustments. And, and so I, I kind of, you know, I had some great, I had some great people I worked for at Ford that were phenomenal leaders. You know, they're just, they're great guys. Some of my best friends now, but it was great to work for Willie essentially as well too, you know, or at least work with him. I shouldn't say not for him because at that point, he was just coming in, but to watching how he, he had such a passionate appreciation for the customer mm -hmm. and he would, you know, and he, everything, every decision we made went like he, it wasn't going through Willie's eyes. It was going through who he perceived the customer was. And I thought that was just like really spot on, you know, and it's called human centric design. But at the time, I don't know if it had a, I don't, I'm not sure if it was called anything. He was just doing it. And he wasn't the only person doing this, but he was, you know, it, it's, uh, it certainly made a huge effect on me. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know? And then, yeah, so that, that, that's how that relationship happened. And, and we started riding together and, and then, so uh, cool. yeah. Anyway. So I, obviously with a background coming from, from Ford, I, I'd be curious because <clears throat> as someone who's like into cars mm -hmm. and into bikes, mm -hmm. um, a lot of current car enthusiasts kind of lament crash standards and fuel efficiency because they feel it restricts design. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those are a lot less of a factor when it comes to building a motorcycle. So do you find the design of a motorcycle kind of liberating in that you're not thinking about making it as aerodynamic as possible to get the best fuel efficiency rating. And so you don't have the engineers going, yeah. well, that shape looks cool, but you can't do it like that because yeah. this is going to mess up the crash standards or we can't build in yeah. the crumple zone that we need to build in yeah. there. And so I, I think in some ways it might be liberating to work on bikes rather than cars. Well, it was liberating in a sense that I think I was more passionate about motorcycles, but we still have those same, those same conversations. We have rider egress, you know, we, we have crash test testing that we do and okay. we have to shape that like the risers can only be so high for us okay. because when you're in an accident, we want to make sure that you're actually, you know, you're egressed, you're, you leave the motorcycle without getting caught into it and caught in it if it, something happens. You, so. you hear that Dyna bros? You yeah. just heard it from Brad. You can't have, you can't have the 13 inch risers no. on your Dyna. No, they the can. Factory. We just can't the sell them that yeah. way. There you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah there you um, go. Anyway, so, so. It, it is, and, and Nick, you're right. In some ways, it's better. In other ways, you know, if you think about designing an automobile, it's a skin, right? You're, design, you're just designing a, a shape. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to downplay how difficult that it is to make a beautiful automobile. It is, it's hard, yeah. like, you know, but you're designing a skin. Well, the first thing I noticed when I came to Harley-Davidson and started designing motorcycles, um, and probably even before so, when I was just building stuff in my garage, it's like, well, Every, it's, it's anatomy on display. Like the heart is right there. The lungs are there. Like everything is there and you have to deal with it. You can't just put a skin over it. I can't just put it. And the first bikes I designed, I was always putting bodies on them. And, I, and it's like, well, yeah, you're, you're kind of cheating, you know. And yeah. then you learn at Harley that one of the greatest things about Harley Davidson is it's like we celebrate the mechanicalness of the bikes. Absolutely. And so every fastener, every cable, every component we think about and we work hand in hand with the engineers to make sure that it's a symphony of different parts and they all have to kind of like, they have to, they have, it's gotta be the same tune at the end of the day. And, you know, and, you, and you've got 
round stuff and square stuff and black stuff and shiny stuff. And so, and it's, it, that, that's more of a challenge I thought, yeah. you know, in I some can, ways. I could also imagine too, that, um, I don't think very many brands deal with the accusation of that's not that brand in the way that Harley mm. does. Meaning mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you might be slightly less constrained by like hitting a certain aerodynamic profile for fuel efficiency or, yeah. you know, crumple zones, like I said, but yeah. you're still restrained by the idea that's right. of your consumers as to what yeah. actually constitutes a Harley to a certain degree. Yeah, and I wonder like if that's Harley. frustrating where you might have this idea for this beautiful bike yeah. and you want to build it, but you know that if you make it look like that, yeah. there's going to be people coming out of the woodworks on every yeah. social media uh, site imaginable yeah. saying, that's not a Harley, that's not a Harley. It's like a blessing and a curse in that it, it to me, in my mind, is somewhat restrictive. So there, there are two products that I got to, you know, I had the luxury of working on with the team is the Livewire and then Pan America, that, which were right up the year, like that was the challenge of both yeah. of those. Bikes I love. Yeah. Know? And I love it's, how different they are. Yeah. Like I'm the, I'm the guy that, I, I really dislike that comment. Like, oh, that's not a Harley. In my mind, I'm yeah. like, well, all you're doing is pigeonholing yeah. something. Like, yeah. you could experience all these other beautiful, great things, mm-hmm. but you're restricting your mindset as to what something is. Yeah, I think if, if I think you're right. I mean, for sure. And, and uh, you know, I've even said this in the past, that the only thing that kind of keeps us from thinking it's not a Harley is sort of whatever the, you know, whatever the, the personal biases you have in your, your mind are. But if you really look at both of those motorcycles, we, we, we took the same DNA that that's in a, 36 knucklehead and we, we we use that same dna it's mechanical it's powertrain on display a crown jewel powertrain's a crown jewel first thing you noticed um beautifully displayed um the rest of the motorcycle is essentially the setting that that diamond sits in and we pay more attention than any other motorcycle brand in my opinion that i've seen to things like where the cable is going to go and i don't want to see wires we want the engine to be completely unobscured it's just you have to. That's the first thing you have to notice when you look at a Harley Davidson, and and we ta- and we look at the castings, and we you know we 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 go into the the detail. The, we drive the engineering team nuts with this stuff, yeah. you know. Like we need that washer to slightly darker silver. <laughs> they're like what? You know, it's like what what what, what washer? They don't even you know. It's like <laughs> and so and we're we're like no, you know, it's, this is you know Harleys don't end up in landfills. This is a this is a family heirloom. That's how we treat each one. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be thrown away. It's going to be handed down from generation to generation. It's got to last. It's got to live up to that kind of the legend of the brand. So, all those all those rules apply to everything that we do, and and it, and so it is a challenge sometimes. But you know, we it's that's what the design team does. You know, we kind of remind people of like this is why this is important. You know, inside the company. I'm going to use that on the sales floor. Harley Davidsons do not end up in landfills. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. They don't. Yeah, I mean, people just keep them. You don't get rid of Harley Davidson's. They're not a disposable vehicle. They stay around. They're built to last. The quality is that, that they, I mean, how many old Harley Davidson's? I mean, we celebrate old Harley Davidson's. Um, you know, you were just at that show in Palm Springs, right? Mm-hmm. It, where we're celebrating these, these choppers and these old bikes, which yeah. is probably a, a perfect segue to lead into my next discussion. Sure. So yeah. uh, one of my favorite stories about Brad that I tell people is, um, and, and I don't think I've ever told you this, you probably don't know what kind of impact it had on me at the time, but oh, we were, yeah. I was, I was at the born free show and uh, it was this last year. It was um, a few months ago. Um, and Brad was there. And we were just talking and stuff, looking at the bikes and things like that. And Brad was pointing out certain things on the choppers and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, Matt, how, how long have you been coming to the Born Free show? And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of a regular here. And, you know, <laughs> I've, been, I've been here for about four or five years now, you know, coming every year for five. I think it's been five years, maybe six years. But mm-hmm. Brad's like, mm, cool, yeah. And then I'm all... 
so how long you kind of been in the scene, Brad, you know? And Brad's like, oh, yeah, I've, I, I was, I've been an invited uh, chopper builder since, like, Born Free, what was it, three or four? Three or four, or, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to put my toe between my legs. I'm going to walk over here <laughs> now. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> but, but, like, that right there was like, oh, my gosh, dude, this is a dude that we have building the Harley, like, designing the Harley Davidsons. And this is a guy who's been so in tune with, like, the chopper scene. Um, I mean, he, he has the school background. Um, but honestly, like, I think a big criticism that the motor company has gotten in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years is a lot of people say, wow, Harley Davidson, the executives and those guys, they're a bunch of suits. They're so out of touch with the writing community. And, you know, if they would just come out and listen to the writers um, and, and I feel like in the past three, four, five years, like we've made a movement towards mm-hmm. being more, what did you call it? Customer centric thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've seen that more, you know, if you go back like 29, 2009, 2010, like I, I would hear that a lot. And like, I read a lot of online chatter about like what the criticisms are and what the good things are about Harley as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think of a guy like you, Brad, I'm like, there's no way anybody could ever say that comment because this is a guy who's been designing, I mean, American vehicles, you know, Ford and now Harley Davidson's and guy who's been building custom choppers for so long. T- talk a little bit about your background and the vintage and like the sure. custom chopper scene. Well, it started with a it started with a BMW. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> good way to start off. Good job. Um, it's you know um, when I was when I was still in design school, uh, like a lot of folks that are. In, in art school, we, I was in a band and uh, hor- you know horrible band. We were terrible, but we um, we had this uh, rehe- rehearsal space that was an old welding shop in a building in downtown Detroit. And it was actually a building. It was uh, Camilo, Camilo Pardo who designed the Ford GT. He's kind of you know pretty well known guy in his own right. This was his building, and it was up on the third floor. There was a metal shop, and anyway, we so we would rehearse and um, we would take breaks and stuff. And I noticed it was an abandoned metal shop. Like, some, like he bought the building kind of as is, and there were a bunch of like old bridge ports and stuff in there, which I think about it now, it's like, wow, you're sitting on a gold mine. But <laughs> there was a pile of scrap metal in the corner, and there was a handlebar sticking out of the scrap metal. And so like I started, like every time, every every 20-minute you know break, I'd take a few more bits of metal off this thing, and eventually it was this old BMW. It was this 19, um, 1955 R50. It was a 500cc boxer, and it was just beat to hell, but it was all there. And I'm like, ah, oh, cool, you know, and... And I had restored some cars, and anyone who's restored a car, which I'm sure a lot of your fo- you know, these folks will understand this, it's a lot of work, a lot of money, it takes a lot of space. So I was really wanting to, like, do a bike. And so I, I, I asked Camillo, I'm like, whose bike is this? He's like, I don't know, he's Brad, it came with the building. He's like, if you can get it out of there, you can have it, you know. So I got it out of there, took it home and restored it, and um, got it running, and um, it took 60 weight oil like a lot of vintage bikes do. So one day, this is like right after I got it done. This is probably the first summer, second, maybe the first, yeah, summer I got it done. I rode it up to the local Harley shop to get oil. It was the only place I knew to get 68 oil. And there was a woman in the parking lot came out to me and said, hey, my, I have a, my husband is a collector of bikes and he has old BMWs like this. And she's like, he would really be stoked to see somebody your age on the bike. He's like, and she's like, he's, he's battling cancer right now. And it would really kind of bring his spirits up if you, would ride over right now to our house and show him the bike. And I'm just like, okay, you know. So I did. And this 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 gentleman opened up his garage and he had like 150 bikes. He was a ma- massive collector. Like BMWs or all kinds of no, bikes? No, well, that, this, is where, this is where Harley comes really into the picture because he starts taking me down the rows and I saw a bike and I just, I'm like, well, what is that? 
Like, what is that bike? And he's like, oh, that's a, that's a, 19, that's a 1946 knucklehead. And, and, and I'm like, like, I didn't, like, I, you know, I was used to the Harleys at the Harley shop, you know, like, you know, the Road Kings and Ultra Classics and stuff. And I'm like, that is incredible. You know, the motor is so beautiful. And so um, that is how it all started for me. And, uh, and so um, I, I put the BMW down and, uh, and started looking for a Harley right at that moment. And I found a 1939 ULH kind of a basket, semi-basket case it was running, but it was a big twin flathead, so it kind of had the lines of the, of the knucklehead, but it was a flathead. At that time, nobody was really paying the big money for flathead, so I could afford it. And, um, and what was really cool is it was ULH, so it's the high, it's the high compression 13 fin, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the rare one, and I didn't even know that when I bought it, but I bought it from this guy in, in Ohio, and it was a snowstorm, and there were, like, there was a shotgun on the table and a bag of, I mean, it was, like, <laughs> you know. Old school. It was, like, yeah, it was, like, out of, like you, you know, you couldn't have scripted a more, like, you know, authentic Harley, you know, purchase. And, yeah, um, that's rad. Anyway, yeah, so, we, so I got the bike home, and I started, I t- tore it apart in my living room, and over the course of a winter, I, I kind of, you know, made a chopper out of it. Very cool. Yeah. So that was, like, started. your start, huh? Yeah, it was my first Harley. It was at the 39 ULH. And then eventually I got into the modern stuff. And from there, you just started buying more choppers. and Yeah. Well, I rode it. I mean, I didn't have a t- ton of money at that time. So I, yeah. was, I, just, I rode it a lot. And I just realized that wherever I took it, I, I would take it to Sturgis. I'd take it to Daytona. Because Ford would send Harley trucks out to be, like the new Harley truck to be shown. Mm-hmm. So I'd sneak my flathead in the back of the Harley truck. <laughs> and so then I'd, I'd ride a, a modern bike. I'd ride a modern Harley out there because... Harley gave Ford at that time, um, we gave them some trucks. They gave us some bikes to use every year. It was like an exchange program. Okay. So I had a brand new Harley to ride that Ford owned out to Sturgis to ride down to Daytona. So I started riding to all the shows and, and then I'd get there and have my flathead and I'd ride my flathead around. And so as you know, as many folks know, as soon as you start riding an old Harley around, there's just people come out of the woodwork that want to talk to you about it. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And it's just the coolest community and everybody wants to, you know, you have, you have these sort of you have these perceptions about Harley Davidson being like a bunch of gruff folks that aren't going to like pay attention to you and, you know, stuck up and arrogant. Yeah. And it's not the the truth. It's like the total opposite, you know? And I just, you know, you go to the dealerships and folks are being really cool and I'd ride that bike in and the service guys would come out and they, you know, Hey, if you need a part, we've got, we still have parts in the back for this, you know? So I can't, I mean, it's just, I just thought this was the coolest community. Everyone's like super rad. And, uh, I had been around car clubs and stuff with some of my friends who were into other stuff, you know, like Ferrari and Porsche and stuff. And, and, um, uh, and the folks were nice enough, but there was like a, it just wasn't, it wasn't like the folk, the Harley folks were just so down to earth. Yeah. And then finally, if someone's like, well, you gotta go to, you gotta go to Wasion, you gotta go to the swap meet. And this is, guys, this is so long ago now, but I don't even know how long ago it is, but 25 years. What did you say the swap meet was called? Wasion. It's a, so Wasion, Ohio is just south of, it's like just south of the border of Michigan, kind of southeastern Michigan. And it's just, it's close to Toledo. But it's the Antique Motorcycle Club of America. They put on, for a long time, they were putting, they put on a swap meet. It's basically a vintage, like an antique motorcycle swap meet. And on Friday night, there's flat track races at this old horse track that's there at the little facility. You know, on, 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 you know, the weekend, the church comes in and makes ice cream. (laughs) <laughs> you know nice. it's a great taco truck comes in yeah. and i'd never seen anything like this and it was just all these you know these are guys that have parts in their in their basements and they come in and they and they just throw a card table out and everyone swaps parts and buys parts and there's bikes and all of a sudden there's this whole other world and i'm like you know i'd been working on Harley on the harley trucks for a while i knew willie and louie and kind of the, the, the company and i was getting to know the brand the modern stuff but when you when you go to those swap meets you realize that that's 
where the essence of the brand lives is yeah. with those people. And so, I, you know, I'm a huge ad- advocate of the, the American Antique uh, Motorcycle Club and and uh, and going to those swap meets and and you know, put your tent in the back of your chopper and stay there for three days and you know, eat the food and w- watch the racing and and meet people. And so now, like my 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 closest friends in my life, some of the you know the the best relationships I've ever had have come from those swap meets. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a special brand. Yeah, that's, sure. that's very cool. Um, talk real quick, Brad, what, uh, what's in your garage right now? Tell us what, you, we opened up Brad Richard's garage. What are we going to see in there? Um, so I always have a modern Harley, you know, I, I, I try to get one every year and I trade in, but I have like a street glide special that has Good choice. a few things. Yeah. So just, it's a great, it's a great motorcycle for long distance travel and it's comfortable to up and my wife can ride it. I can ride it. Uh, we have um, two lowrider S's. I have a 16 and a half lowrider S. That's like one of the first bikes that I was you know, able to work on at Harley when I got here. Um, so that's a really special bike to me. And cool. yeah, and then we have a modern, you know, we have a soft tail lowrider S that my wife has built, has done a really great job sort of you know, building um, kind of to her specs. And uh, there's, I don't, there's three pan heads, there's a knucklehead, <laughs> there's. I love that, that knucklehead. You got that black one that you brought yeah. to Born Free. Yeah, forties. Yeah, what is it? It's a forties. It's it's the. Remember, I said I met the, the guy. Showed me the bike, and I was like, "What is that?" I finally. Yeah. That's the. I, that's. Oh, the, is that that bike? It is not that oh, okay. bike. But I made. I it is the exact model, same year, okay. same color. I wanted it to be that bike. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. So yeah. you, you probably sold it, and then you decided, "Hey, I need to get a replacement for it." At one point, well, I never bought. I never bought the knucklehead. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. So I, I, that's the other thing. They never sell anything. So, <laughs> you know, when you say oh, well, Harleys don't end up in landfills, it's because I, no one wants to let go of them. Right, they're, right. They're too, they're too. They're like family members. Yeah. Uh, so there's, I don't know. There's, there's too many motorcycles. Um, but they're, they're like 99 percent of them are Harley Davidsons. So there's always something on the lift right now. I think I have a panhead on the lift that I'm working on. Uh, and then I'm also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing some work on my lowrider S to the 16 and a half, updating the suspension and so on. You know, you, you mentioned that you, one of the first bikes you got to work on was a lowrider S. Yeah. What, what are some of, in, in your opinion, your career with Harley Davidson, what are some of like the things or the bikes or the style points that you're most proud of? Would that be one of them? For me, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah that was a bike that um, Dice Nagayo, who's a phenomenal designer on the team, he's Art Center guy. So he came from Art Center Design School out here, which is was sort of like the the competition of this, with the school that I went to. Um, but you know, he's he he had a version of that. It wasn't quite exactly that, but it was very close. And when I came on board, we just there just happened to be an an open slot in the life cycle plan. They, I'm not sure what the circumstances were, but it's like, hey, Brad, we need a bike like right now. You to know? go on the Dyna platform. Yeah, we need something here. So uh, so I just, you know, I Dice and I, Dice had showed me that bike, and I'm like, there's just no way that bike is not going to be a runaway hit. I mean, it's just, yeah. so I said, yeah, so we made a few changes, did the color, did the, I think we tweaked the seat and we tweaked the, the rider position just slightly, but he had, like I said, most of it was done. And um, and we took it into, and we showed it to some of the folks, and, you know, so, Half the folks are like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. This looks like a black butt, you know. I'm like, no, that's gonna be that's gonna be a hit, you know. <laughs> like, we got to do this. Yeah. So thankfully, some folks listened, and we got it on the LCP, and it turned out to be, yeah, it's like a, it's become probably our one of our, one of our most iconic, you know, modern bikes now. One hundred percent. I know Nick's a fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, that that bike, um, well, and and especially like the Softail Lowrider S, I think um, 
Yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah. I guess I should clarify that you have you had <laughs> one soft tail Dyna, uh, excuse me, soft tail lowrider, and then you had a lowrider S after yeah. that. I've I've um, I've spent uh, a lot of time and money uh, trying to basically replicate a modern version of my father's eighty five FXR. Oh yeah, which yeah, we yeah. I still have, but like yeah. it's just not something that I want to try to put forty miles a day on. Sure, um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Although I probably would do it fine, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but uh, because of that, I ended up blacking out an eighteen lowrider mm. because there was that gap in between. Where right. there What's was up no with that gap, by the way, Brad? You know, you had this <laughs> runaway hit. You have the biggest uh, controversial move in the his- the modern history of Harley Davidson, where you got rid of the Dyna lowrider S. The Dyna Bros were up in upheaval. You had a civil war going on. And then it's like, okay, well, let's wait till 2020 before we re-release the Lowrider S. Like, what what happened there, Brad? Well, I told you that, um, so, you know, most Harley-Davidson's, especially, you know, on a, like a, a complete redesign like the Softail was, um, new, new chassis, new architecture, new powertrain, it takes, you know, three or four years to design a bike from sketch to, like, getting it into the customer's hands. Yeah. So, um when I said they had, an, they had like a last-minute opening in the life cycle plan, it was, that was an anomaly that never happens. We're usually very thoughtful and planful about what's coming next, and we have our, you know, we have our act together in that, in that sense. But this was, I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were, but it was one where it's like, hey, we have like a year and a half to get this like in, in, into the dealerships, which is like unheard of in terms of time. And the fact that the bike had already, it's really just a color material play with a few, like with, with the 110 powertrain and 16 and a half and a few other bits. We, we could do it really quick mm-hmm. without, you know, with due respect to other folks at the company who are no longer there, they, you know, not everyone saw the potential in that motorcycle. So they kind of saw it as like a one and done. It's, this is going to be a Roman candle. We're only going to sell, you know, 2000 of them. And that's going to be it. And I think everyone in the studio was like, well, that's going to be like, that's going to be, that's going to be a bike that we're going to keep doing. So we did try to get it into that soft tail <laughs> launch in 18, but they're just, we had so much on the table, we couldn't do it. And, you know, and so, you know, I, I wanted to, pull a bike out and put that in. But at the time I just got into the company, I wasn't a vice president yet. So I was, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if I had the, I didn't have the cojones at the time to, <laughs> to go into the, you know, the, up to the executive boardroom and bang on the table. But, um, yep. but, but eventually we got it in and I think people saw the, the um, you know, uh, you know, kind of like uh, more aware um, uh, personalities prevailed and we got that put into the, into the portfolio on a more, permanent basis yeah well I, all i can do is just speak from what we've seen here at our dealership and as soon as the dyna lowrider was discontinued the last year was a 17 then in the 18 model year mm-hmm. the soft tails were way better than the dynas were i think everybody yeah. knows that at this point but at yeah. that point like not everybody knew that hey this new soft tail rides better handles better is lighter 100 it's way better in every measurable yep. way yep. But people were still paying over MSRP for Dyna lowriders. Like, it was yeah. that hot. The culture was that strong in the club Dyna scene, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, had, we had guys like me that were dropping thousands upon thousands of dollars to take the new soft tail and black it out and put a big motor in it. Yeah. Right. And it's, uh, you know, it's like, anytime we're doing that, where we're, like, we're, we're literally building bikes and we have like almost like an assembly line in yeah. the back of like yeah. well, we're blacking out low riders and putting 114s in <laughs> oh, them now yeah, like yeah. we oh. realize it's like okay there's probably a gap in this market yeah where like exactly where the the 2020 yeah. low rider eventually filled but yeah we i mean when we launched it i, I knew that i'm like you know we should take get rid of that one if we stick that one in this would be a much better situation but again it just it takes so much planning and so many folks kind of like you know you know there's a massive process getting a bike 
to, again into the hands of our customers and you can't just you can't disrupt it it would have been incredibly disruptive to do that it would have been the wrong mm-hmm. thing to do mm-hmm. even though from a product standpoint it was the right thing to do and so it, it what's and what's great about that is that was one of, that was a bike that kind of i think gave the design team some credence inside the company they're like oh okay well, yeah oh, well, these they, guys know what they're talking they about they called that one yeah so <laughs> you know it's not like cool you know, because ideas for motorcycles come from variety of inputs not just us you know there's totally. regional inputs from you know because there might be a bike that's really popular in australia that we don't see that popularity here but we know we have to feed it there because it's the most popular most profitable bike so we yeah so we get input from folks and so you know to sit here and say that we just you know we design every motorcycle i mean we do design every motorcycle but the ideas come from a variety of places it could yeah. be market research could be you know Pan America is a great example of that, where it was like... Great segue. Let's talk about Pan America. So here's this, <laughs> here's this market, the only segment in motorcycling that's growing. We're not playing in it. Mm-hmm. You know, BMW's chipping away at you know, us in North America with it. Look at the vo- volumes of adventure touring bikes um, outside of North America are just massive. And so tremendous opportunity to do something. Um, let's, you know, so that one came from just like looking at the sales figures of segments across of motorcycle segments and... and and, and all of us just saying, okay, let's, let's, let's do this, you know. And I'll be honest, I, they were just, we were kicking around the idea when I came on board. I was like, oof, you know, that's going to be, you know. It's a huge undertaking. That's like, okay. Like, I see the opportunity. Not 100% sure how we make that a Harley-Davidson. But in what ended up happening, and I've told this in all the you know, people, anyone's paying attention, uh, you know, it's, it took a story. And, and that whole idea of like, we had the design, um, and we were showing it to folks and and no one was buying it inside the company. It was like, no, that's not it. So you had your like basic sketches of what it would look like. We had a model. We built a mock-up. Okay. It looked like, it looks like a real motorcycle. We still have it. It's like, it's probably going to go in the museum. Nice. But we started taking it around and people are like, no, that's, you know, it doesn't look like a BMW, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what we wanted right, right. or it's like what you wanted at the time yeah i think i think that we just you know and so what i realized is that this is going to be a really hard sell like this is gonna be tough and even inside the studio we struggled with it it went through like three or four designers um it was one of those bikes that everyone ended up having a little bit like a line on you know it wasn't like mm-hmm. one person nailed it um and it, it was a struggle to be because there was so much back and forth about what it should look like. And finally we just, um, you know, I, I think I drew a straight line on the page and just said like all adventure touring bikes have two lines that basically do this. Everyone, if you, if you, if there's a, there's a, there's a line that goes from the taillight um, to the front axle. And there's a line that goes from the top of the fuel tank um, to like the, the top of the, of the, the front tire and they're like this. And I said, well, if we want to stand out, I want to, let's go flat. Let's go North American, utilitarian. Let's be Jeep. Let's be Scout. Let's be, you know, let's be um, Bronco. Let's be military Jeep. You know, yeah. World War II. American off-road. Yeah. Like, everyone else is trying to do some kind of science fiction thing. I'm like, why the hell would we do that? I don't yeah. want to do that. You know, like, well, that's what, that's what everyone expects in that segment. It's like, well, let's not do what everyone expects. Let's do something unexpected. And so we, so we, 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 we created the design, and then we like we were so proud of it because I had convinced everybody inside the studio this is the bike, like that we were just drinking our own Kool Aid, you know. And so, <laughs> so we get to the first like big you know executive meeting where we unveil it, and we literally take the thing, and it's just like silence. Everyone's just like, okay, <laughs> you know. And uh, and so then I kind of like regrouped, and this is I was still kind of new in my leadership role, and I'm like, all right, what do I get? And then I realized, you know what, we didn't tell the story. 
So wait, real quick, when yeah. you showed him that model, was yeah. it, how close was it to the final product that you have now? Is this, it was same what you thing. have, what we have yeah, right now. Same thing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which is a testament to engineering, by the way, that they're able to deliver exactly what we come up with. Like that doesn't happen. Usually there's, our engineers are so good. I just, I'm so proud of that team. They're, they just, they really, they, they, they really do nail our vision every time. It's pretty impressive. That's right. But anyway, so yeah, so I said, are we going to tell a story? And so we, we came back and I put a PowerPoint together and it was like story time, you know, and uh, it was, hey, there's no roads when the company started. And, you know, the, it's, you know, we had, we, they, we did have an adventure bike. It's called the WLA and here's some pictures of it, you know, in World War II. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so we just stitched that story together and we won Baja. And, and, um, and so I went to every executive leader with that story because I think they were probably saying, is this Brad guy going to stick around? You know, I don't know. Maybe he's not the right guy. And uh, so we, um, so I, and I remember going to each one. And, and as soon as they got done with the, the presentation, they're like, oh, yeah, that, bike, that is the bike. That's the bike, you know, and, they, and, they, and everyone got excited about the bike. And I just thought, wow, the power of story to land, you know, to, to basically put the, to create the foundation for the aesthetic, like the vision, like what you see physically manifest in a product needs to have a story it has to have like and that's it's marketing sales 101 right it there is, yeah well i learned I, I learned a huge lesson so um and so that's what every bike we do now we we tell a little story there's a theme board with like here's the here's why this matters here's how it connects to our lineage um and so that's how we do it but the pan america was a really special case even when when Jochen came on board you know he was he was because there was some because i think at that same moment we had we had unveiled it at a dealer show and someone had done a youtube video just lambasting the you know the design oh really which happens like, as a designer you gotta have a thick skin so i'm just like yeah whatever you know who cares um i believe in it and that's all that matters to me yeah and, but but Jochen's like well wait a minute like you know let's talk about this is this the right the bike you know and and uh and so i had that i said let, let me take you through the story and i and and to his credit he's like oh okay yeah 100 percent, get it that, that makes perfect sense now so like not an issue any longer and so that's the bike we went to market with so big time kudos i mean i cannot even imagine trying to design a new adventure touring bike for harley davidson motor company when nothing has set a precedence in the history of the company really um and and you guys nailed it like i i, I read a ton of online chatter and just mm -hmm. obviously we're here on this on the showroom floor and listening to people talk about it mm -hmm. people love that design i for one love it i bought one nick loves it he bought one um the design's awesome like yeah, the fact you. that you guys did do something different i think is so important because yeah. uh my my i think the harley davidson show is be the trendsetter the guys that are doing it first doing it differently mm -hmm. uh me personally i have just this this copy radar that's constantly going on i i i love originals i i i hate it when i see people copying somebody else's yeah. like design and so I, I think you guys did make a bike that when you look at it it's like boom that is the harley davidson you know, you can look at, like, some of the Triumphs and some of these other bikes, and, like, to someone who's a little bit untrained, oh, they don't know quite which manufacturer that bike is, not the Harley. You know that's a Pan America. So, yep. yeah, <laughs> huge, huge, yeah, success, I would say. And, you know, now that we have a year gone by since that bike was released, um, and all the reviewers that have gotten to ride it, and all the, um, you know, magazines, the, um, the publications that have written, written about it, it's been a huge success. Yeah huge success for Harley Davidson. And so kudos to you guys. I've been pretty vocal recently about just how many people reached out to me personally and sent me messages that Harley Davidson's going to fail. And like, like I have something to do with like the design of the bike. I don't, I just know that I'm a cheerleader for Harley Davidson, 
but everyone wants to just say, oh, it's never going to work, Matt. You know, sorry, bro. It's going to be too heavy. It's going to be $50,000. Mm-hmm. And here we are a year later. Yeah. It's a smash success. The number one best-selling adventure touring bike in North America. In North America. Yeah. Chipping away in Europe. Yeah. Chipping away in Europe. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, good kudos to you and the engineering team. I mean, the engineering team did amazing. On, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about the RevMax platform this last year that came yeah. out. Huge, huge, huge platform. Um, and I think this is probably a good segue, too, to talk about the lower, or excuse me, the Sportster S. Sure. Sportster S. Um, what kind of a role did you play in that? And, like, tell us a little, walk us through, like, your, your thought. Yeah. So, um, you know, from a design standpoint, Sportster S, the, the main, the sketch was done when I came on board. That was one that, you know, because it takes so long to, to create a motorcycle, a lot of the sketches for, um, like a lot of the soft tail stuff was done, sport glide was done before I got there, and so um, a lot of that stuff is just now starting to see the hand from my at least from my leadership and from the low and from the, the recent change in leadership at the company as well. So, like from here on out, I think everyone's going to be just so stoked with the product. And I mean, on the twenty sixth of this month, I can't wait to unveil. I mean, can't wait for you guys to see what we're going to show. <laughs> we you. can't so, wait either, man. Yeah. So, but that bike was one that was kind of was done. The clay model was pretty much I done a little tweaking ben mcginley phenomenal designer he's now the director of livewire design um incredibly talented designer that that you know luckily i inherited when i came on board and um he had that he had it done and he's always done really interesting mashups he's a younger designer and he's got a great eye and real passionate about the brand fxr you know rider and um anyway so he had that you know and that was another one where i'm like okay you know it's a bit of a mashup and and then what we realize is that it you know if this is going to be is going to sort of set the tone for the new RevMax platform and how we envision Sportster th- with it, that it needs to be pretty polarizing, not unlike Pan America. Like it needs to be, like people would probably, you know, I think people can kind of expect what we, what we sh- you know, what most people thought we should have done is just, you know, put a Rev- RevMax motor in sort of a, a, a classic Sportster silhouette. But we wanted to do something that would get people talking about it. And we knew that the we knew the architecture was just incredibly capable, like way more capable than any other Harley Davidson that we've ever had, because of the the engineering team, like you said, the great engineering team that created Pan America. And by the way, Pan America would not be the success is not that 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 motorcycle is probably its success is probably more due to the the capable engineering of making that a respectable motorcycle, and also innovating in the space where no one had you know we created the adjustable ride height, and that's yeah. something that no one had, had thought of. And, done so very important to um, someone like me yeah it's yeah. the only reason i can be in the big adventure segment at all yeah. is that that technology exists right so that mo- that was a coupling of you know probably engineering being even a little more important to that customer and function although they might not admit it i think they do care about styling and design i think you, yeah. t- touching on what you were saying in terms of like everyone saying well that doesn't look like the bmw that doesn't yeah. look like the other bikes in the space yeah i think it's like a it's one of those things where I've always thought that space, I've always admired it. Yeah. I've always thought it has been filled with hideous vehicles. Like yeah. I've appreciated what they're, they're capable of, but yeah. like just as someone who loves the way a classic Harley looks, like I've always thought that like the GS while I know it's an amazing machine. Like yeah. I don't have anything bad really to say about it. I know the KTM is yeah. a really cool bike. Yeah. Nothing bad to say about it. Like yeah. they're good bikes. hundred percent. But I don't think they're particularly beautiful machines. Right. Um, it's and an acquired so taste. Someone doing something <laughs> radically different in that space, like yeah. it was really important to recognize that that's a space ripe for doing something yeah. radically different. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone's doing the same thing and no one looks at those and goes, those are gorgeous. Like yeah. most people look at them and go, okay, I understand why it looks like that. Yeah. I mean, there, there isn't one that's like, you, there's, you, you can't create a metric and, 
and grade each one and say this one's better than the other. It's just is what's what's right for our customers. And we knew what was right for our customers, something that had a little road glide in it, had a lot of Harley in the V-twin motor, you know, and felt a little bit like an off-road vehicle with the big knobby tires. And like we wanted to play up to kind of what, what we love as North Americans about off-road. Getting back to Sportster S, right? The, so that one, again, was, was designed to be polarizing, you know, and, and so... Very radical, very out there. I mean, you got the high-mount exhaust, the fat yeah. tires, the pill headlight. Like, yeah. it's something that's, like, beefy. And I, I like it. I think you guys yeah. accomplished exactly what you were trying to do, and that is build a bike that really stands out as something unique and yeah. different. That's what we were trying to do. And, and the fact that we had the capability of that architecture, is that's that's what makes those bikes come to life. They're they're incredible to ride, you know. And so just think of where we could take that, like what we could. So we're it's like the world's kind of our oyster right now in terms of, you know, there's a lot of ideation on the wall of like what we want to do with the next versions of the motorcycle, of that architecture. And, and that architecture being so modular without a frame, it, it, re- it really – frees us up as designers because we don't have this rigid contact points all around the motorcycle that we can't deviate from. We can put a, we can put a whole new tail section on very simply or put a whole new front end on, you know, steering head and, and, and rake angle and stuff with just a slight change to a casting that bolts to the front of the motor. And it's, that's like, that just has taken the handcuffs off the design team. So there's, yeah, so we're just, we're stoked with it. And they're just so damn fun to ride. You know? Oh my gosh. It, it's nice to see Harley Davidson start building fast bikes. I feel like this <laughs> big criticism for the longest time has been like, yeah. well, if you want a Harley, it's going to be heavy and slow. Not anymore, guys. The Rev Max, like, we, all, all bets are off, man. That, yeah. thing, that thing, the, the Sportster is a missile. Yeah, we, want, we, we, we were serious about putting the Sport back in Sportster. You yes, know? you and were. 57, it was a giant killer. That motorcycle, the Sportster was, you know, that thing was a hot rod. And, uh, and then over time, it just we didn't evolve it, and so now we kind of reset the bar, and we, we have a whole new, you know, we have a whole new set of uh, components now, and a whole new mindset. It's sort of like a, we have a bit of a fresh, like a refresh of our soul, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Icons Collection. So yeah. we saw this new thing come out this last year mm-hmm. uh, with the Electric Glide Revival. Yeah. yeah. I, I this totally came out of left field for me. I had no idea something like this was going to happen. Then it showed up. And we're like, whoa, yeah. this is a rad idea. Like yeah. I cannot wait to see what Harley does after this. Mm-hmm. And then to see like this, like my grandpa's eyes light up my dad's <laughs> eyes light up and i don't know if you saw the video that i did with my dad on that bike or not if you haven't you might want to because yeah. he talks about when those bikes were brand new back yeah. in 69 them showing up and people hitting, hitting that electric starter button and just being like oh my gosh this is amazing this oh, thing yeah. starts up Game like, yeah. they didn't even take it out of the crate they hooked yeah. up like a battery to it and we're hitting the starter button like everyone, <laughs> in, the whole, everyone in the whole dealership had to press that starter button Anyways, the history was so cool, and to hear it from like my my grandfather and my father who actually experienced it, yeah. you know, firsthand when they were. Anyways, um, I can I can talk about that forever. But what 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 inspired that? Like, tell us about the icons. What are like? Sure. I know you can't give anything away, but tell yeah. us about like future plans or whatever. So <clears throat> there are from time to time there there are designs that the, my design team comes up with, and that one was really sketched by Bjorn Schuster, and he's uh, he's the manager of sort of the, the, the touring platform, and he had. He came to me one day, and, and um, I think it was when we were getting a lot of uh, criticism about Livewire. We just we kind of went heavy into the launch and the promotion of that motorcycle, and we just said, God, you know, people are thinking we're going to just abandon our roots, you know. But yeah. So um, we were, we, you know, he came to my desk and said, Hey, check, take a look at this. Like we have, if we take this, if we take the, if we take the police seat. And we, you know, and we, and we paint the fairing white and the, the bat. It goes. He showed me a sketch, and, it, I'm, and it, he's like, "It looks just like the '69." I'm like, "Well, yeah." 
it does look just like the 69 because it's the same silhouette really you haven't evolved it in, you know 60 years or whatever yeah so or 52 years so i said that's a great bike and he was really passionate about it his team was passionate about it um but we have some of these anomalies some of these rogue ideas that don't really fit into the product portfolio we, we know they're going to be they're going to be great sellers but they're not going to be you know 70,000 bikes it's going to be 7,000 bikes or 700 bikes so we couldn't find the commercial construct to to make it to make sense of doing like putting doing the investment and it was really Yoken who saw it and said hey let's do this like let's create this thing called collections cool. or excuse me icon there it's a collection of motorcycles and we'll we'll say it's this many bikes we'll keep the we'll keep the framework the construct of what what it is very tight 750 units north america 750 units outside north america um, icons will be will be able to play with paint and brad brad can play with paint and graphics and parts there's going to be another i can't really talk too much about it but there's some other stuff coming out where it's a slightly different construct and um but that was a way for us to do some of these really iconic pieces and the reason that electric glide revival made so much sense is because we were getting all this flack about harley's lost its way so um what a better what a better way to remind people no we haven't lost our way this is all very planned out and we're thinking about everybody and let's do this bike and so we just hit we, we hit the go button on that one and it, there's some killer some killer stuff about to come out i mean yeah i wish i always get in trouble when i go back to milwaukee because on all these interviews you're like brad you came way too close like, <laughs> so i mean i, I want to tell you everything but you know i, I can't yeah, yeah. well we want to keep yeah. you at the butter company yeah. so don't don't say too much <laughs> but uh, i'm i'm pumped i mean and, and just to i mean it the story that you guys kind of told with the icons too, because I've watched you know a lot of your interviews and you've talked about it, is yeah. you know you walking through the museum and checking out what has ha mm -hmm. you know happened in the past and gaining inspiration. And I mean, I'm sure you've walked through the, the museum a million times, and but um, just just to be Incredible able to place. yeah, just to, to see you go through there and just kind of get yeah. get that inspiration from past models is very cool. Yep. Um, we're running out of time here, Brad, and we respect your time, so we don't want to go too far over. But let's talk. So there's there's been a couple. Uh, I don't know if I want to say controversies already, but a lot of chatter since the 22 model year. Motorcycle. You know what? I do have to get going. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've been feeding you a lot of the softball questions at this point, yeah, Brad. Yeah, so yeah, now right. to get into the hardball stuff. Okay, so I'm ready. Um, you know, I, I the the gunship gray, mm. beautiful mm -hmm. color, yep. just came out. Came out on the road glide. Yeah. Uh, came out on several other bikes, Iron yep. 83, Street Glide, things like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are already saying, they're up in arms, they're saying, wow, what is Harley-Davidson yeah. doing? They betrayed the CVO buyers that bought in the 2018 model year when the gunship gray made a mm -hmm. huge splash in the in the CVO world. Yeah. Now that, now my color that I have on my CVO Rogue Glide is no longer exclusive. So tell, tell me the thought process around reintroducing that color. Well, first of all, I mean, I, I totally respect the, the point of view of those folks because, you know, CBO customers, it's our pinnacle product. It's, you know, it's the product that we, you know, we know that the customers that buy that product are just some of our most passionate customers. So I totally get it. And I really appreciate their, their passion. And I want them to know that we didn't, we don't make these decisions just lightly. You know, we, we, we did, we did have, we do have conversations about what is this going to mean and what's this going to do. But the reality is over the years, there have been many CVO colors that have eventually made their way into the OE color palette. Interesting. And there's a variety of, there's a variety of reasons that we do this. Number one, it's just, it takes so long and so much money to develop a new color that sometimes we, uh, you know, we, we need to share what we tried to do. And what we've always done with CVOs, there's always been at least a three year time, time frame. I think a two or three year time frame. There might've been one instance over like in the last couple decades where we did it, we, there was a two year gap, but typically it's got three to four year gap. 
so we let the we let the 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 CVO product have it exclusively for a period of time, and then we bring it in. On Gunship Gray, um, there's a couple other reasons why we did it. First of all, dealers are screaming for it. Like dealers were cost because customers are screaming for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And if you think about if you if you think about the sort of the philosophical positioning of CVO in our in our portfolio, if you will. It's an as, it's the aspirational product for us, right? That's like you know, I want to own a CVO one day. I haven't I haven't owned one. I want eventually I'm going to own one. Same. So, um, uh, but maybe I can't right now. But God, you know, it's pretty cool that I can get that color on my street glide, on my base street glide. So there's this there's this aspirational piece now that um, we hope that the time frame of exclusivity for that CVO customer with the Gunship Gray bike will will sort of you know satisfy them in the fact that they've they've had it for that long. The other yeah. piece of it is that, you know, and I think a lot of folks forget about this, is that there's a lot more to CVO than the, the color of the paint. Totally, and that's something that Nick has yeah. been saying a lot, too. It's, it's content. Like, it's it, Yeah, so it's, it's it's a long list of stuff that makes those CVO, uh, those gunship gray CVOs, th- those bikes are going to be so collectible because they have all the other bits. They'll, you know, the, sta- the bike that we're creating today won't necessarily retain the value of the CVO in the future. We just sold one two months ago for forty. Two forty three, forty four thousand yeah. dollars more, more like, than what we would have sold. Yeah, one like for more a like MSRP, <laughs> yeah, or like yeah, more like, than MSRP. Yeah. We're talking about a four year old motorcycle at this yeah. point. So point yeah. taken, absolutely. Yeah, when, when the and, gunship gray ones showed up, like uh, last week, when I uh, was looking at them on on maybe it was the week before, I was looking at it because initially my my instinct was, oh no, like the CVO owners might be disappointed yeah. in this. And then I saw it and I looked at the bike and I'm like, okay, the road glide looks really good in gunship gray. No surprise. Like I already yeah. knew it was going to look really good in that color. Yeah. But I looked at it and I was like, if I was a CBO owner, I would look at this bike and be like, that's a nice looking road glide. But I wouldn't at all for a second be disappointed. It, other than Boombox GTS, like yeah. I just like the new the system a lot more, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But like other than that, I would look at it and be like, no, no, I'm it's perfectly content with my bike. Like yeah. everything else on that bike, the monochromatic nature of the wheels with the paint, like everything else sets yeah. it off and you look at it and it's, I think a, like a perfect lesson in how all of the little touches actually mean way more on a CVO than most people credit, give it credit for. I, w- I always say that the, the, the CVO philosophy is there's three reads. This is how I like to explain it to the design team and explain it to like when we reset, we kind of reset the bar for CVO in 18 and started doing some other things. We, we said, hey, let's not just speak to that traditional customer with the, the, the really wild paint and bright trim. There's a new customer that wants a more sedate-looking motorcycle, but they want all the content. They want a CVO. That was really the birth of Gunship Gray. It was the first solid CVO that we had ever done. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a big watershed moment for us. But it was, I said, you know, I said, the way that a CVO works in my mind is that, you know, the thing goes by 50 miles an hour, you see it on the street from 200 feet, and you look at the silhouette, it's the first thing you notice, or maybe you get a, get a kind of a shot of the color, and someone gets intrigued, and they go into the dealership. That first 300-foot read, that we call it the first read. The second read is when a customer comes into the dealership and is standing in front of the motorcycle 10 feet away, 12 feet away. They're looking at it, and they're noticing, oh, look, it's got a different collection. The seat, the seat stitching has got some contrast in it. There's some badging here. There's, that's the second read. And then the most important read to me is the third read, and that is the read that the customer has once the bike is home. Maybe it's been home for a few weeks, and they wash it for the first time, and they're washing it really close and detailing it, and they see a little a bit of badging or a little bit of color, like you know, or, or uh, like the you know the little detail we put uh, the branding on the wheels and so on. Like that, that those are the Easter eggs that make CVO so important. So mm-hmm. all like you're not getting that on the Street Glide special with 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 Gunship Gray, unfortunately, you know. 
that's that's reserved for the CVO customer. That's the most premium pinnacle pinnacle product that we have. We debated changing the name of the color. <laughs> really? Okay. We did, but we just thought there's something unauthentic. Like we're tr- we're trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes. Absolutely. And, we, and that's not Harley Davidson. Abso- I'm so glad that you yeah. didn't change the name because yeah. people would have known. They're like, hey, this is gunship great, but they changed it to make people think that they weren't yeah, you're like reusing it. the color. Yeah. It's like, no, just yeah. transparency. It's the same color. Yeah. Boom, here it is. If there is an upset CBO owner, he's still going to be upset if even yeah. if the name's changed. <laughs> exactly. if, if that exists. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot exactly. of it is like outrage on the behalf of CBO owners who aren't outraged. Yeah. Probably well, have better things to worry about anyways. But uh, if there was one, he's not going to be duped by the name. Right. And he's just going to be there. Oh, look at fake ship gray, you know, and, and <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, right. and so you're not going to avoid that. Like, I think the reality is that, that color, um, kind of that style of gray and that just that, I don't know if there's a specific name for that, that genre of colors. Cause I feel like there's a lot of colors that are, yeah. you know, Toyota has like various types of like army greens on their trucks and we, like, there's we, like sand colors yeah. now. They're not metallics. We, mm-hmm. we, we call them. At the time, we were calling them almost like a pastel to me is like what I well, inaccurately think. What we call them now is bill, we call them billiard colors, like billiard balls, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. If you think about a pool table, the balls on a pool table, they, there's no metallic; they're just solids. They're really beautiful, buttery solids, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what all those like you know there was billiard, there's billiard what, teal, billiard red, billiard blue. Those I, I love those colors. Yeah, those yeah. are some. Of my and favorite. those colors were really hard, by the way, to to get even my design team on board with because everyone thought. Well, it's got to have like all kinds of stuff going on, and it's it's a Harley, you know. You can't. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm like, it's the absence of that stuff that will make this stuff feel more special, pop. and will reset yeah. the bar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, even it, even Gunship Gray, and this is funny. Paul Martin, who's retired, he was our color material manager and worked for me, and he was is a phenomenal. He's he's phenomenal at what he does. Um, he he could not. I'm like, it's got to be solid. I don't want any effect in that gray. I want it to be unapologetic, like you know, Eastern block gray. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, and he, and he's like, okay, Brad, you know, and then I noticed in the final, I walked up to it at the show and I could see some metallic and I'm like, Paul, he's like, right, <laughs> something in it. you know, I was just like, yeah. you know, it was pretty funny, but, and then, but that's cool. It was, it was appropriate for, for that color. But that kind of gray, you, you guys need it. Like yeah. I, uh, the unfortunate reality is that it, it may have been on a CVO, but I don't think anyone reasonably expects the motor company to not have something along that line. And it's either going to be gunship or something extremely similar. Yeah. And if it's going to be something extremely similar, I think we all agree. It might yeah. as well just be gunship. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And, and it's funny too, like no one's ever brought that up before that, Hey, I saw this color on a, a previous model CVO and now yeah. they're reintroducing it. Um, I think that just speaks to how popular that gunship gray is too. Cause it's I, pretty, yeah, it's iconic. Yeah. It's become really, yeah, you're right. It's, it's you know, that one everyone noticed because okay. it, may, it was such a shift at the time that we you know, did it. Second thing, sure. that I've, I've already been hearing a lot of chatter about um, online and stuff. So you guys changed the wheels on the Fat Boy this year. And so forever, it's always been this disc mag, solid disc mag. You put the windows in. You put the windows in there now. So my question was, okay, well, is this driven by a new style or is this driven by some type of a, a functional benefit? Because everybody mm. wants to talk about how the solid mag wheels on a fat boy catch crosswinds when you're going down the road. And for that reason, the mm. fat boy is more susceptible to being blown around the road. So mm-hmm. what, what, what was it, Brad? What so does the, so does the side of a semi truck trailer yeah. catches a little wind as well. <laughs> That's true. Um, hey, maybe it should be windows in those now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not to downplay the power of aerodynamics. Um, uh, but no, it was purely, it was purely designed. We just, we just, we, that wheel is gorgeous. And, we always try to keep things fresh, right? And we wanted to make sure that the, you know, that that was another little Easter egg for the Fat Boy, you know, customer. 
Yeah. And, uh, and so we said, I think, I'm not sure who on the design team, it might even been someone on the engineering team who just said, Hey, you know, we could easily, you know, mill these out of here and see what, see what the wheel looks like. And it's got a beautiful cross section and it's very deep. Yeah. And so we said, yeah, let's look at it. So I remember they rolled one into the studio. They had done it. And I, it was, all, all of us were just like, oh, yeah, just no brainer. Just do it. It's beautiful. You know, it's, it given, the, cool. it's given the wheel a new life. So, no, it hadn't had nothing to do with any safety issues, you know, fortunately. Okay. That's cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad we dispelled that. You know, you guys yeah. heard it now from Brad Richards, okay? Yeah. So yeah. that's a pretty credible resource, I yeah. think. And I'm a, if it gives it any, anybody, you know, any, any more comfort, I'm a land speed racer. I've raced at Bonneville a few times, and so I know about that stuff. But no, it was, I, okay, it was pure so design. Yeah. I, I did not know that about you. You're yeah. a lad speed racer. Yeah, I've raced. I have a, yeah, I have a fifty pan head that I, I raced out at Bonneville a few times. It's got some. I didn't get a record at Bonneville because, as people know who race at Bonneville, it's an incredibly humbling place. You know, um, a lot of fast it, dudes out there. Yeah, I, mean, I think we went went like 131, and uh, which is pretty respectable for a fifty pan head in a wow. kind of a stock class. But yeah, we. we I think we raced it at Maxton. We raced it at the Ohio at the Ohio Mile. I think it has three or four records. We went 141 there, but um, wow. Anyway, That's so I digress. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Well, I didn't know that about you. Um, yeah. I had all kinds of things out about Brad here. Um, I think we'll end here pretty quick. But sure. on a final note, though, uh, yeah. further and faster yeah. virtual launch coming up on the 26th, January 26th. Yeah. So. Um, in any, I know you can't give anything away, but you know what can we expect? Do we can we expect? I mean, what's up with the work? Like, do we expect a bike that's going to be going further and faster this year, or, or what's? Well, up? I think you have. Yeah, I think you, I think it's it's probably when we think about the titles of these things, they have to do with what we're about to show. So, um, and it was, you, it'll make sense when you see the product. Is all you know is what I'm going to say. But yeah, I mean, I mean, cl- clearly there's there's been a shift in <clears throat> the uh, the trend with the core. I would say with what we would consider sort of the contemporary core of the company in terms of the customer. And uh, we've gone from, you know, in the last 10 years, we've gone from, if you went to Daytona or Sturgis, you would see bikes that were essentially like rolling sculpture, right? Um, Big front wheels, stretched bodywork, crazy paint, slammed to the ground, you know, massive powertrain, but I don't know where we're going with it because you can't really turn, (laughs) you know? I mean, some of them weren't like that, but so we, we, um, uh, but now, and so the new generation has said, you know, like, you know, like in, in art, in music, in fashion, in architecture, the, the new generation rebels against the current generation. And so the new generation of riders, a lot of them, you know, kind of first kind of jumping on this, getting, getting into this trend and smelling it out here and embracing it. You know, they said, okay, I, I see what those guys are doing. It's great. It's respectable. There's a lot of like, you know, detail and energy and work and thought that has to go into those motorcycles. But you know, we, we're going to put our value somewhere else. And that's in like outright performance. Like we want the bikes to look visually engaging and stunning like those guys did, but we also want them to be highly functional and they need to be able to split lanes. They need to be able to go into a Canyon. You know, they need to be able to, um, some of them still need to be able to carry two people and luggage and so on. So, um, the shift to performance is become pretty, it's pretty obvious that that's, that's a strong trend and we're seeing it pretty much in every show that we go to around the world. Hmm. So, um, that shift is coming and, and, you know, we want to get ahead of it. And certainly uh, bikes like Lowrider S and so on have embraced that. Sports Dress is another one. Um, there's even, you know, you could even say Pan America has sort of embraced it as well in terms of function first and performance first and oh yeah, and, and profiling second. And uh, so that's, a, that's a probably about as much as I could say, but just yeah. stay tuned. And it's going to be a really exciting year that's, you know, not necessarily over at January 26th either. 
<laughs> yeah, well, we, we do see, like, last model year, we saw the Sports Dress was a mid-model year launch. Yeah. The Icons bike was a mid-model year launch. So, yeah, yeah a lot of cool things to come, like, yeah. in the model year. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time, you Brad. Thanks. Really appreciate yeah. you being here. Yeah, That's thanks, Nick, and thanks, Matt, for inviting me. And it's it's, it's an honor to be here, and we, we love what you do, and you know, we certainly... Um, a lot, of, a lot of our customers pay attention to what you guys are doing and the dealership and so on, especially here in Southern California and other places. So happy to uh, to come talk to you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to Hopefully you guys will take me around and show me what you guys are building. Let's, let's do a tour, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, looking we, forward we got, to that. We brought a couple things, I think, back there that we can show you. Yeah, I can't um, wait to see them. Yeah. All right, right on, Brad. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. And uh, thanks a lot for watching, guys. And we'll see you on the next one. Later. Bye, everybody. Put the right people in the room and you get the right feedback from the customers you know you get the right kind of technology and the right kind of thinking the right kind of mindset keep the soul and all the decisions and you get motorcycles like this that push all the boundaries and deliver that harley davidson experience